Look in your Bibles, John chapter 2. John chapter 2, hold your finger there and we'll get there in just a moment. You remember Jesus has chosen at least six of his disciples to follow him. Those six are Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Nathaniel. Those six disciples are about to begin a journey that will be beyond their imagination. They are about to witness the first miracle of Jesus and certainly... There will be many more miracles to come. We read about that in John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Can you put yourself in the shoes of these ones of the wedding party? (laughs) They've run out of wine. It's an embarrassing moment for them. Mary, the mother of Jesus, steps in. She wants to help. I'm not sure exactly why, whether she has a role in helping with the the wedding and the reception that is taking place, or if she's just a good friend and she feels bad for them and she wants to help. Whatever the reason, she goes to Jesus with this problem. She says to him, they have no wine. If you're reading from the New International Version, it says they have no more wine. In other words, they've run out of wine. It makes you wonder if Mary had some kind of feeling that that Jesus could fix this problem. Or maybe she's just turning to Jesus with this problem. He's her oldest son. And maybe through the years she has turned to him for one problem or another. and, And she's always found that he could help with the problem. She says to him, they have no more wine. And it was very obvious that she wanted him to do something about this problem. They have an exchange with one another that at first you think Jesus isn't going to do anything to help. And yet as she leaves Jesus, she turns to the servants. Did you catch what she said to them? She said, do whatever he tells you to do. I want to stop there for just a moment because really that's pretty good advice to you and me today. 
from the mother of Jesus. Just do what he tells you to do. If we would follow that advice, our lives would be so much better off. We'd be way less complicated in our life than what we are. We should just do whatever he tells us to do. He is the Lord of all. And he is about to give evidence to that fact through the miracle that is about to happen. Mary leaves, the conversation is over, and Jesus decides to step in and help. And that's the first point to the sermon that I want to give to you today. Jesus saw a need and he stepped in to help. He felt compassion for these people. They were in a crisis. And so he stepped in to help them. He told the servants to take these six water jars and fill them with water. The text says that each of these jars were big enough to hold 20 to 30 gallons of water, and also the text says that they filled them to the brim. And so we are talking about somewhere between 120 to 180 gallons of water. And you know the rest of the story. We've just read it to you. They fill the jars with water, and somewhere along the line, Jesus changes the water into wine. I don't know if he said something. I don't know if it was just from a thought that this miracle took place or whether he went over to the water jars and and he laid his hands upon them. The text doesn't give us insight as to exactly how this, this happened. It just happened. And he was, the, the servant is told to take, take a drink. Take, take, some, take some of this to the head waiter. And as the head waiter took a drink, he was amazed at how good the wine tasted. And he made an announcement. Most people serve the good wine first. And once people have drunk freely, then they will bring out the less expensive wine. He says to the bridegroom, you, though, have saved the best wine till last. Only a few people knew exactly what had happened. The servants knew because they were the ones who had put the water into the jars. The disciples knew and Mary knew. And I'm guessing it didn't take long for the word to get out because that kind of word spreads in a hurry, don't you think? It just flies from one person to the next. Don't miss my point, though. Jesus saw a need and he stepped in to help. What do we do when we see a need? Do we step in and help? Or do we turn our eyes away? You know, oftentimes I'll even sense a prompting from God that I ought to do something to help that person who is in need. The question is, will I listen to that prompting and will I follow through with action and will I act promptly upon that prompting? Now, there have been times I've felt his prompting and I've twiddled my thumbs long enough that by the time I've decided to act upon his prompting, the need was already taken care of. Or the person who had the need was gone. Could I encourage you to have open eyes and quick 
feet to do what he tells you to do? Could I encourage you to have a compassionate spirit towards those who are in a crisis situation and that you would act as a servant to them? That's what Jesus did. He saw a need and he acted quickly to meet the need. He gave the wedding party more wine. And it was the best wine. And it was probably a whole lot more wine than what they needed. He abundantly supplied their need. I've been studying out of James lately in my personal quiet time. And chapter 2 speaks very strongly and clearly about how our faith needs to be backed up by works. What use is it, James says, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith without works is dead, being by itself. Scripture is very clear. Our faith must be accompanied by action. We need to have a servant's spirit within us. We need to have a compassionate heart. And when we see someone who is in need, we should be moved to meet that need. Just do what he says. Good advice given to us by Mary. Let me give to you a second point from this story. I want you to notice the unlimited power of Jesus. There's nothing he can't do if he wants to do it. And we're going to see the truth of that throughout his ministry. Not only can he change the water into wine, he can heal the leper. He can give sight to the blind and he can raise the lame to walk. He can walk on the water and he can calm the storm. He can take a young boy's lunch and multiply it to feed a multitude of people. He can raise a man from the dead who has been in the grave for four days. He can cast out the demons. There is no limit to his power. You know what? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that? Just as he had no limit to his power then, he has no limit to his power today. He is still the God of miracles. My brother is a real testimony of God's miraculous hand. A number of you have been praying for him, and I am thankful to you for that. He was to begin a new ministry in southern Oregon the first Sunday in December. And he was trying to get ready for that. But as the time drew near for that to happen, he was having some emotional and mental stuff going on that he just could not get on top of. He was trying to. He was doing his best to get on top of it, but he just couldn't do it. He was dealing with depression and anxiety and panic attacks and fear for some reason was getting a hold of him and it was paralyzing him. He couldn't even 
function. He couldn't even hardly get out of bed and dress himself. And when he did, he just went from the bed to the chair and he just sat there and stared. He couldn't make decisions. And he certainly couldn't even think about starting a brand new ministry. He didn't know what to do. He'd never dealt with this kind of stuff before. If someone came to him with these kinds of issues in their life, you know what he'd do for it? He'd give them a scripture. He'd say, memorize this scripture. Just, just memorize this scripture and pray and, and everything will get better. And that's, that's what he was doing. He was, he was looking at the scripture and he was quoting scripture and he said, Kevin, I've never prayed more than what I've been praying in all of my life reading more scripture than what I've read in all of my life. And, and he wasn't getting over it. He let our family know about it, or I maybe should say his wife let our family know what was going on. He couldn't even get on the phone and tell us what was going on. And Terry called, and she, she kind of filled us in on what was going on over the last number of weeks in his life. This had been going on for several weeks before we knew anything about it. And we were alarmed, and we prayed, and we fasted as a family. But these problems sometimes don't get better overnight, and we continued to pray for him. And at first, we were keeping it quiet. Amongst ourselves, as though, as though this was something to be embarrassed about. You know, preachers aren't supposed to have these kind of problems. Preachers are supposed to have it all together. But my brother didn't have it all together. And thank God the church elders that were so gracious to him. It was an amazing act of grace. The elders of this church where he was to start this ministry... I mean, just a few days before he was to preach on Sunday in December, he got with him and he just said, I, I can't do this. This is what's going on in my life. And instead of those guys backing up and saying, hold on, hold on here. We didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know you had these kind of problems. Instead of them saying that, they surrounded him and they said, you know, we believe that you are the man still for this church and, and we want to give you time to heal. And by the way, we want to even pay your salary for you while you take time to heal so you don't have to worry about money. You talk about grace from the elders of this church. They had amazing grace towards my brother. I want to go out there and just give him a big kiss. <laughs> I think I'll refrain from that, though. But they literally helped save my brother's life and ministry. And so Tom began a two-month journey of finding healing. He went to a doctor and he went to a counselor and, and they were very helpful to him. He came back here in this area where the rest of our family lives. He came back here over the holidays and he spent about four weeks with family just from our house to, to my folks' house to my sister's house and, and then back and then out to Colorado. Just time uh, finding refuge with those who loved him. 
and finding support and and love and encouragement and, and rest. And in the meantime, I decided, you know, I need to recruit more more prayer warriors in his behalf. I had said to Cindy, in fact, I'd, I'd written it in an email and sent it out to the church family here. I said, if this was cancer that my brother was dealing with, we would have, we would have been asking you to pray from day one. But because it was a, a mental thing and an emotional thing, We were being hush-hush about it. And I decided, that's not right. That's not right. We need more and more people to pray. And so I put it out to you, asking you to pray for him. And so many of you took that seriously, and you prayed fervently for him, and you came to me, and you, you said, we're praying for your brother. And I don't know how many people were coming to me and empathizing with my brother, saying, you know, we've gone through that kind of a situation ourselves, or we've had somebody in our family who's gone through that, and we know, and we're praying. I got on the email to EK in India, and I asked him to be praying about my brother Tom and told him what was going on with him. And wouldn't you know it, those, those people in India stayed up all night long and had a fasting and prayer service for him around the clock. It was amazing, the prayer support that we began to feel and sense was taking place. And Tom went to a counseling and retreat center in Colorado for pastors, and over these past two months, God has brought his healing touch to my brother And I'm happy to tell you, I'm so excited for him this morning. He's preaching his first sermon in the Christian church at Redwood. I tell you, God God is so good. And I know he's going to have a wonderful ministry there. And the devil has been trying to keep that from happening. And yet, by God's grace and God's power, a miracle has come to his life. And I want you to know, the God who worked a miracle in John chapter 2, changing the water into wine, is still on the throne today. And he still is a God of miracles. Just turn to him. Go to him. Pour your heart out to Him. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than what you would even ask or think of. Now I want to shift gears for the remaining part of this sermon because you can't preach on this text and not deal with with the, with the subject of alcohol in at least a little bit. And I understand it is a very hot topic in the Lord's church. It's a hot topic in this church. I know that. thought it interesting. I was talking with my brother-in-law, Dave Bycroft, who preaches at Tyro a couple hours away yesterday. And I asked him to pray for me as to what I was preaching on today. And he said, wouldn't you know it, I'm preaching on the exact same subject. It's a hot topic 
in the Lord's church. First, it's obvious from Scripture that Jesus drank wine. It doesn't say in this text that we've read from John 2, it doesn't say that Jesus was drinking wine in this text. It simply says that he made more wine. But over in Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus is speaking himself. He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And he's giving himself a contrast between John the Baptist, who had no drink in his whole life. He was a Nazarite from birth, which meant he had a vow to not touch the fruit of the vine. But Jesus wasn't that way. He came eating and drinking, he says, and there were some who were accusing him of being a drunkard and a glutton, and that was not true. We know Jesus never got drunk. Otherwise, he would have had sin in his life because the Bible is very clear about drunkenness being a sin and those who practice drunkenness will not go to heaven, the Scripture says. And there's a couple of texts there that I'll just have them put on the screen. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5, 21 and, and uh, also Second or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. We won't take time to read those uh, in the sermon, but you can read them as I'm talking. The Scripture is very clear that the person who practices drunkenness will not go to heaven. And so while it is true that Jesus did drink wine, it is also true that he was always in control of what he drank. Not one exception can be pointed to. There is not one time that he slipped up. Not one time that he crossed the line accidentally. He was always in control. Would Jesus drink today? That's a question that we can only speculate about. What I am very confident in is I am sure he would be friends with those who drink because he was friends with those who drank in his day. He came to seek and to save every lost person. He wasn't judgmental of those people or condemning towards them. He didn't come across to them as, I'm better than you. He simply loved them and wanted to bring them to his saving grace. And those people were actually comfortable around him because they knew that he loved them. I have to confess to you, Sometimes I have been judgmental. Not so much towards the lost person who drinks, but I have been judgmental sometimes towards the Christian who drinks. And there have been times in years past I've preached on the subject of alcohol more from my opinion than I have from Scripture. And I apologize to you about that. There should never be a time that my opinion on something takes precedence over Scripture. 
And probably I have been so black and white. That's, that's who I am. I am a black and white person. And there have been times, and I'm confess- this is confession time to me, for you today, from me. There have been times that I have been so black and white on this subject that I probably would have joined in with the Pharisees and been judgmental towards even Jesus. And who am I to do that? Now, some of you, as I say these things, you may be in total shock (laughs) as you hear it from me. And you may be wondering, has Kevin changed his position on alcohol? I really have not. But I have realized that I need to be careful about judging people too harshly who have a different view than what I have. The scripture does allow some liberty in this area. Not for underaged kids at all, because it's the law. And any parent who wants to assist their kid in having alcohol whose kid is underage should be prosecuted under the fullest extent of the law. Having said all of that, though, I still struggle to find one good thing that alcohol does for us. And if, if, if you can find one good thing that alcohol does for us, catch me after the service and fill me in on it, because I'm, I'm clueless of one good thing that alcohol does for us. I'll never forget the night years ago in the ER at Mercy Hospital as I was with a dad and a mom whose son had been hit by a drunk driver. And the doctor came in to tell them that their son was gone. I can't get that out of my mind. Nor can that mom and dad. And there is hardly a month goes by in my ministry that I don't talk to somebody whose life has been so badly affected by alcohol. Either they've had a dad growing up who was abusing alcohol and therefore it affected the whole family. Or there's a wife who will speak to me of her husband who has abused alcohol and it literally destroyed the marriage and it destroyed the family. And I've talked to folks whose own lives have been destroyed by alcohol. I'm still looking for one positive thing that alcohol will do for us. And I have yet to find it. And somebody will be quick to say to me, you're speaking about those who abuse alcohol. That's a whole different story than what I do. I thought it was interesting this last week, our staff had quite a good discussion about alcohol, knowing that the sermon was coming. 
And someone referenced one of our former youth ministers here, how he had once mentioned the number of kids in our youth group who had come and talked with him about how they were bothered by how much their parents drank. And I heard that and I'm thinking, you know, sometimes our kids see things more clearly than what we do. And sometimes they have the bar of exemplary living raised higher than what we do. And that's sad to me. I'm thinking we as parents, as Christian parents, we ought to be raising the bar high for our kids to have something to aim for. And yet so oftentimes their bar is higher than our bar. The Bible cautions us very strongly about being a stumbling block to the children. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 18, 6, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Be careful, moms and dads that you are not holding on to your liberty to drink so tightly that you become a stumbling block to the little ones who live right under your roof. Your drinking, though it may be under control, sends them a very clear message to your child that drinking is okay. And who knows whether they will be able to handle it as good as what you have because likely they're going to follow in your footsteps. And when they get old enough, if they haven't tried it before then, they'll be trying it just like you try it. And who knows whether they'll be able to handle it. Or will their first drink lead them down the the road to alcohol abuse? And I can tell you for sure that's one of the reasons Cindy and I have held the line on this issue. Yes, we both were raised by parents who taught us not to drink. And we both bought into that kind of teaching. But more than that, we didn't want to give our kids an excuse for drinking. In other words, we didn't want to become their excuse for drinking. And so we have totally left it out of our lives. And you know what? I just don't feel like I've missed one thing. I don't I don't feel like I've been cheated of having fun and enjoying life because alcohol wasn't a part of our life. And for me it, it's simply been a way in which I could give honor to God. I don't need alcohol. What I need is Him. I need more of Him. Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that's what we ought to be seeking more than anything, to be filled up with Him. And hasn't He called us to be different from the world, to come out of the darkness, 
to be holy and blameless before him and to abstain from every form of evil? Why is it that we so often want to be finding as close to the edge as what we can get and still be in him rather than just come out from their midst and be ye separate Now, as we talk about this issue and that he calls us to be different from the world and he calls us to be blameless and he calls us to abstain from every form of evil, I'm thinking in my mind, you and I have to decide what that really looks like. What's it look like to be a person who is different from the world. And hopefully, where the Scripture speaks, we will follow. And hopefully the Holy Spirit is going to be having a prominent role in our life and He's going to be prompting us and influencing us in what it looks like to be a holy person, a person who belongs to Jesus Christ. If by chance what we decide that looks like is a little different from each other, might we offer grace to each other rather than harsh judgment? Might we remember, and this is what I'm saying to myself, might we remember the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ? At the same time, the person on the other side who wants to have his liberty... I think it would be good for that person to remember the words of Paul to the church at Corinth as he was talking about this whole subject of liberty. He says this, You say everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And so as we come to the conclusion of this message today, could I encourage you not to leave today without having made some sort of decision? If you've been one who has been too harsh in your judgment of others, like me, you have something to repent of. if you've been one who is more concerned about your personal freedom than what you have been concerned about your brother or even your child who lives with you, then you have something to repent of. Because surely their soul and their well-being is more important to you than your freedom. And if you have been one who has been more concerned about the Spirit's than what you are about the Spirit. Then you have something to repent of today. And if there would be anybody here today who has an alcohol problem, you have something to repent of. And don't leave this place 
without getting the help, the prayer support that you need. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. That you were a man who has walked in our shoes and you have shown us how to live and how to overcome. And so let us follow you. In Jesus' name.